Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. All right, today we have the story of Colonel Robert Howard. Colonel Howard would serve in Vietnam. Well, he'd serve in a lot of places. He served 36 years in uniform. But the time we're going to talk about today specifically was his service during the Vietnam War, where for a stretch in there, it seemed like he just never left. He was a part of the U.S. Army's 5th Special Forces Group and would be tied to the Military Assistance Command Vietnam Studies and Observations Group. And that was an organization, we've talked about it a little bit before, but kind of a joint group between the services, Department of Defense Services, and some civilian agencies. And their task was to conduct um, a lot of covert operations throughout Vietnam. This organization was doing things in Vietnam really before the American, the big American buildup and enduring, and then even a little bit after. So kind of a secretive group there. And and they, they held a lot of rules, one of which would be these kind of small search and rescue teams that were a mix of Vietnamese and American soldiers and, and would go behind enemy lines and um, incredibly dangerous job, incredibly risky job. And that's kind of what Howard did the entire time he was in Vietnam, was just one dangerous job after another. But there's other factors at play here when we dive into his story that make it a little unique. We've, we've talked about how like race relations have played into Medal of Honor recipients and how, I mean, absolutely in World War II, there were guys that didn't receive the recognition they deserved because of their heritage, because of their ancestry, because of their race. We, we still saw that in Vietnam to a degree. We've talked about um, a couple of those stories what we haven't really gotten into yet is if a if politics plays into whether or not somebody will you know be recognized for their actions. And I I'm saying that so we, we kind of paint the picture getting into the story. I don't know that I can come down definitively and say that's the reason that this played out the way it did, but it, it has to play a role. And and it has to play a role. So as a bit of a backstory, if we're talking about Vietnam, remember Vietnam is, is a long, a long narrow country. It's like a semicircle shape. And in the North, you have the, the Northern portion of the country of North Vietnam, the Southern portion of the country of South Vietnam. It's a divided country with the North being backed by and supporting communist ideals. And the South is going to be more focused on Western democracy type ideas and the Vietnam War is a hot portion of the overall Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union and China. Um, really for, I mean, what would that have been? Almost 50 years after the Second World War. And the United States will intervene on behalf of South Vietnam. Kind of the, at high level, the idea is that the domino theory, like when countries start turning communist, the next one the next, like the next physical country to their border is more likely to become communist. And we're viewing it a little bit like a zero sum game. So a country was either with us or, or against us. And, and the Soviet Union viewed it very similarly. And so the idea was North Vietnam is, is communist. We can't afford to let South Vietnam become communist or else then, you know, 
down the road, every other country in Southeast Asia becomes communist. But so the United States is in Vietnam. The bull, the, the buildup of forces is happening in the mid to late 60s. I think 67 ends up being kind of the peak year for U.S. forces in country. And by 72, we're pretty well withdrawn. But all in, probably safe to say a 10 to 15 year, probably 10 to 15 year commitment on behalf of U.S. forces. Um, but we had people there earlier and, and after. One of the challenges in the war in Vietnam is going to be the western border. Now, Vietnam on the east is is bordered by the uh, South China Sea or by the China Sea, I believe. Let me make sure of that. Yeah, the South China Sea. On the west, you're going to have two countries that border Vietnam. You're going to have Laos in the north, about from the midpoint up, and then in the south, Cambodia. And it becomes a challenge because you get into this more modern thinking of warfare, and it's it's a thing for a long time. It's not unique to Vietnam, but but it raises the question of, are you trying to win the war at all costs? Or are you trying to win the war within a certain set of rules? And it raises the deep question of, should warfare have rules? And it's weird when you start going down that rabbit hole. I mean, it's, we as humans have adopted types of rules around warfare. We have the Geneva convention. We have, we've outlawed certain types of munitions. There's, there's, and we've generally abided by those rules. There's exceptions to all, but it's almost like we've come to an agreement that there can be mass killing and mass death, but not by doing it this way. It has to be done that way. You know, it, hunting comes to mind where there's certain methods of hunting are okay, but others aren't. If you're, you're always trying to get to the end goal, but it's, it's restrictive on how you can get there. In the Vietnam War, one of those restrictions are going to be political boundaries, geographic boundaries, I should say. So if you have this strip of country where there's large-scale conflict, but if you just cross over a border that's not necessarily guarded, there's not guard towers, there's not fences, and you can just walk one mile to the west, and now you're in a neutral country, and you can't be attacked, it kind of changes the dynamic of the war. And that's what was happening for good reason. If you're a North Vietnamese soldier or a Viet Cong soldier, you were untouchable in Cambodia and Laos, or at least that was the idea. More untouchable, maybe is the right way to say it. And you could stage, there'd be hospitals set up. The, the border region between these countries is not dense. It's jungle. It's it's uninhabited for the most part. So it was easy for troops to move in there and set up staging areas and, and not be noticed really, not really severely impact Cambodia or Laos. Now, and, and then it raises the question of why the heck would you not do that? But if the enemy is going to do that and they're willing to sit in a sovereign country to stage attacks and, and to recuperate at some point, the frustration mounts and you have to figure out, are, are these geographic boundaries worth, you know, it, it's the confines that you're fighting this war within. And we're dealing with it today in Pakistan, right on the border of Afghanistan, as we see um, terrorists move between the two countries and sometimes sit in Pakistan, a, a, a neutral country, if you will, and uh, 
it was a very similar situation in Vietnam in the 60s and 70s. So the U.S. started going into Cambodia and Laos and started with airstrikes, started with with small-scale um, covert operations on the ground. But you had to do something. It was like fighting with one arm tied behind your back. But the problem, and what we're going to get into here with Colonel Howard, the problem is we weren't at war with Cambodia and we weren't at war with Laos. So what the heck are we doing bombing those countries? What the heck are we doing getting Americans killed in those countries. So if we're not telling anybody that we're at war in, or even have people in those countries, it would, it would come out soon. I want to say it was 1970 when it came out that we'd been bombing and, and, and conducting offensive operations into the, these two countries. But if you're not telling anybody you're there, well, you can't give somebody an award for doing something there because we're not there in the first place. Or the award has to be rewritten. And it, it gets, you see how murky it gets quickly. That's going to be the case with Colonel Robert Howard. He'd be recommended three times in Vietnam for the Medal of Honor. Now that's a very, it's a very prestigious award. It's a very public award. And how can that be awarded to somebody for actions in and around a country if we're not supposed to be there? It makes it tricky. One of the debates around Colonel Howard, not made by him that I'm aware of, but, but by others is that he was not awarded some of the, he was not provided some of the recognition for what he did because of where it took place and when. And that doesn't sound crazy. That, that fits within reason for why something would be downgraded to say a silver star or distinguished service cross, two of which his are. So we talk about those here real quickly they they occur both in November. His Distinguished Service Cross would, would uh, be awarded for something that happened on 21st November 1967. His unit would go into an area and find a large weapons cache um, uh, for, for the North Vietnamese soldiers. They would go about destroying it. So they start um, blowing it up and, and, and sabotaging the weapon systems and the food. And they come under fire from an enemy element. There's multiple machine gun positions open up on... Howard and his small group of American and Vietnamese soldiers and Howard charges a machine gun and a sniper position kills them and then helps direct an airstrike in to knock out this kind of fortified bunker system. That's also raining down fire. The strike is on target. And as they start moving forward to assess the damage, they're like within feet of this bunker and and it looks like how could anybody anybody have survived this? Somebody did. The machine gunner did. He gets up, starts um, firing back at Howard and his men just feet away. So Howard falls to the ground and and rolls a grenade, you know, just right behind him into the bunker. Wounds those inside. Still not dead. So he runs over and picks up a light anti-tank weapon. And again, as gunfire continues to impact all around him, charges the machine gun nest, fires the the law, destroying the nest keeping all of his men alive. Whoa. Kind of a one-man wrecking crew on this entire North Vietnamese force. Recommended for the Medal of Honor, downgraded to the Distinguished Service Cross, which is no small thing, but that's a pretty serious action that he took right there. A year later, almost to the date, in again in, in, in Vietnam, well, each one of these kind of uh, either in Vietnam or right on the border with Laos, Cambodia, or in one of those countries, Nonetheless, it's a it's an eight day operation that he's on, and as they land, they come under fire from enemy forces. So he's jumping out of the helicopter, 
firing enemy forces. They eventually, in the midst of this operation, come under a find themselves in an ambush from a almost battalion size enemy force, severely outnumbered. Now he starts doing. And we're going to come back to this. Can be a theme of Howard's, but he's moving around the line. He's got guys wounded up and down his line, but he's bouncing around under fire and person to person, checking in, assigning sectors of fire, resupplying ammunition as needed, making sure they're you know little things like are you drinking water, how are you how are you feeling, treating their wounds, and then moving on to the next guy. And he does that for hours until there's just enough space for helicopters to start coming in and ferrying out their wounded. As luck would have it, the first helicopter that comes in gets shot down. It's a incredibly hot landing zone or what would be a landing zone. So Howard runs over with that, that down crew and pulls the people out of that helicopter that has been shot down, pulls them back into his line to reinforce his line with all these wounded soldiers and sets in the defense again and continues to repel enemy attack after enemy attack until it's opened up enough for their um, reinforcements and a evacuate and evacuations to start occurring, get the medevacs in, get additional ammunition in and start pulling their soldiers out of the fight. So organizing and holding this defense for, for hours, Howard would be recommended for the medal of honor downgraded to the silver star. Again, not like nothing to, to, it's still an incredible award, it, you know, but but it it raises the question. Like the, these both sound like things that very easily could have been, um, should have been, or, or I guess they were considered for the Medal of Honor. They just didn't end up passing all the way through and getting the approval. But that takes us to 30 December 1968, when spoiler alert, he would be awarded the Medal of Honor. Howard is a platoon sergeant for a what's called a hatchet force, and it's a small group of Vietnamese and U.S. forces that are um, operating together, and they are inserted behind enemy lines to rescue a missing American soldier. Almost immediately after setting down, this platoon-sized force comes under contact from about a two company, two about two enemy companies. So, you know upwards of 200 soldiers versus their 30 to 40, uh, probably 30 is about the size of his element. So at least five times, five to six times his size right away. There are people wounded and an explosion wounds Howard and destroys his weapon. Now something I haven't hit on yet is Howard, during the course of his career in, in Vietnam, would be wounded eight times. He'd be awarded eight Purple Hearts. Actually, there's another a better way to say that is he's awarded eight Purple Hearts. I don't think that it was um, just eight times, but that's crazy. Like, it's crazy. And there's, there's a few pieces to that. One is the determination to keep going back to an area where you're, you get almost killed over and over again. But the other part is just the incredible luck. There is a shocking amount of luck to be wounded eight times and none of those times be in such a way that you can't go back. There's people that have one purple heart and it blew off their leg. There's one shot from a bullet could, could, you know, destroy your arm to destroy your arm in a way that you can't use that arm ever again. You're unfit for service. That's it. It doesn't matter how tough you are. It doesn't matter how much you want to go back. You can't, you're not fit for service. I mean, there's so many ways that being wounded could prevent you from ever doing this again. 
for Howard to be wounded eight times and continue to serve is insane. And, and that doesn't even take into account um, the thought of continuing to go back in this place where he is just getting hammered by the enemy every time he's out there. Nonetheless, Howard is wounded again. This wouldn't be the last time. This is not his eighth Purple Heart that's still coming down the road. But he gets wounded and sees that his platoon leader's down, so starts crawling under fire, heavy enemy fire, right? 200 or so enemy um, pouring down in every direction. Gets his platoon leader, pulls him back into friendly lines. Once back in friendly lines, he's going to do what I've talked about already once for his Silver Star citation. He's going to set in the defense, and he's going to move from soldier to soldier, U.S. and Vietnamese, and make sure that they have ammunition, check for wounds, treat the wounds as needed, and shift the defense around. So he's keeping an eye on the overall battle. He's assumed command of this platoon, and he's doing everything he can to make sure they stay alive. He starts calling in airstrikes and artillery strikes to keep the enemy at bay, and the fight goes on for three and a half hours. For three and a half hours under intense contact, he's doing everything he can, leading the platoon, motivating the men, giving them hope, inspiring them to keep fighting because help is on the way, which is, it's easy to say, but it's hard to say in that scenario at the three and a half hour mark, right? At some point, people don't, maybe don't believe you anymore. Or they, they, how long can they hold on? He's the one providing that leadership, providing that guidance to keep his guys in the fight. At the three and a half hour mark, finally, after keeping this sizable enemy force at bay, they should have been overrun. Early on, they should have been overrun. For keeping them at bay, after keeping them at bay for three and a half hours, U.S. helicopters start to land. The the landing zone is cleared enough for them to come back in. Now, they can't just let – they don't want to come in if it's so hostile that they'll be shot down no matter what. There's there's no purpose in a helicopter coming into a landing zone that they're not going to be able to get out of. So it has to be a reasonable expectation that they can land and get out of there, not without getting shot up at all, but, you know, at least give them a chance. Howard has organized and pushed back this fight so much that he's given the helicopters a chance, which means that he's given his men a chance to survive. Those helicopters come in, and Howard starts roaming the battlefield under fire. Remember, this is not the enemy did not stop firing. They're just maybe shifting targets, looking at helicopters now. Howard is, is moving across the battlefield to collect the wounded, make sure that everybody gets on those helicopters. He has been wounded now, mind you, three and a half hours, but won't get on a bird, won't accept treatment until every one of his men is off the battlefield. He does that, gets them all off. They all evacuate. And he's recommended a third time for a Medal of Honor for his actions on 30 December 1968. And this time is awarded. That makes for Colonel Robert Howard at the end of his career. He would go on to serve 36 years, would retire in 1992 at the rank of Colonel. And during his career would be awarded the Medal of Honor, the Distinguished Service Cross, the Silver Star, that is one, two, three in order of valor awards for the United States military, the U.S. Army, and eight Purple Hearts. That is a heck of a career and it spans a pretty serious amount of time. And unfortunately, just a few years ago in 2009, Colonel Howard would pass away. But up until up until that point, he was still traveling around to see soldiers, Marines, airmen, was still uh, speaking a lot and providing a lot of incredible leadership across the country. But Pretty wild story for maybe the most decorated American soldier since World War II, Colonel Robert Howard.
Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.